You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, everybody. It's great to be with you again today. We're continuing our series uh, leading up to Easter. And, but as we begin today, let me just start by asking you a question. And that is just, when's the last time you were really thirsty? You know, what comes to your mind? Maybe for some of you, it was when you had COVID and, and you had a fever and you just, you just couldn't get enough to drink. Or maybe you went on a long run or you went hiking and just didn't happen to bring enough uh, water with you. And well, you had to get back. So the longer you walked, the tireder you got and the thirstier you got as your body kind of starting to get a little dehydrated. And you remember that, how good that water tasted when you, when you finally got back. I ask that question because we're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about thirst. As, because we're, we're looking at, in this series, we're looking at some of the last words of Jesus when he's on the cross. We're calling it famous last words. And the idea is that so often the last words a person gives before they die tell us a lot about that person. And man, is that true about Jesus? And, and what we're going to look at this, this week, just some of the very last words he says, just three simple words, but powerful, so full of meaning. These words, I am thirsty. Now, we find these words in John chapter 19, and so let me read the passage. And again, just to set the stage a little bit, uh, Jesus is on the cross. He, he's been there for six hours, and he, he, he says these words starting in verse 28 of John chapter 19. It says, later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it, in it, and and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So like I said, he's so close to death here. He's been there for six hours, three hours in the hot Middle Eastern sun. And then for three hours in the darkness that the Lord brought, partly to cover uh, all the incredible things that were happening when the sin of the world were placed upon Jesus. But, but it, it's now, after everything, now and only now, that he begins to show his need. Now, there's an interesting question here. Why now? Why not before? Why, why not before when when the crown of thorns was jammed on his head or when his, his back was shredded and scourging or when they nailed his hands or his feet to the cross. He, we have no record of him saying, oh, my head or oh, my hands or my feet or my back. It's not until now that we see him express need. And he says, I'm thirsty. Now, why does he say that? In fact, Why does the one who filled the oceans with water thirst? Well, I want to look at that. What does it mean? And what does it mean to us? And I would say it means so much to us. So I'm going to walk through some of the reasons, my understanding at least, of, of some of why Jesus said these words, I am thirsty. And the first reason is simply this. It shows us his human suffering. It shows us his humanness, shows us that he was really suffering. 
He was experiencing both. The first thing, it shows us his humanness. You know, the Bible describes Jesus as both God and man. It describes him as the Son of God to describe his deity and the Son of Man to describe his humanness. He was both. He wasn't like part God and part man, half and half. He was 100% both. It's one of the wonderful mysteries of our, of our faith. And what we always want to be careful, we never want to allow his godliness to detract from his humanness, nor his humanness to detract from his godliness. And so what he allows us to see here, though, very clearly, is his humanness, that he was thirsty. Uh, why? Why is it important that he shows this? Why does it matter that he was fully human? Well, one of the, the main reasons is, is that the reason he came was to be a substitute for us. Uh, it, it was we human beings, right, who, who sinned against God and separated ourselves from him. And the only way that we could be reconciled to him was for a sinless human being to take our place. And that's exactly what he did. There was only one of those, and that was Jesus. And he took our place, you might say, on the cross and received the death that we deserved. Now, I will say the concept of a blood sacrifice was not a new one. The idea that sin required uh, death was not new. For centuries, the Jews had practiced sacrificing a perfect lamb to atone for the sins of the people. But they had to do that over and over. They had to do that every year. But Jesus came as the Lamb of God once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. So in his thirst, he's showing us that he was fully human. And he was also showing us that he was really suffering. And in case you kind of have the, the image that, well, this was Jesus, so things maybe didn't hurt him as much or something like that. No, no. He was fully human. And this, this was incredibly difficult. The suffering was real. It was an unbearable physical suffering. Very likely, he was in a state of hypovolemic shock because of so much blood loss from hanging nailed to a cross for six hours, and that's after the scourging that, that took so much of his blood. He shows us his humanness, and he shows us his deep, his deep suffering there. So that, that's important. It's an important part of this. But then there's another reason that, that he says this and, and that we learn about him, and that is that it shows us his devotion to the Father and, and to the Father's plan. Look what it says. Verse 28 again. Later, knowing that all was now complete and so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So that the scripture would be fulfilled. Several times, if you look at Jesus' journey from the night before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross, several times the statement is, so the scripture will be fulfilled. You just see it kind of scattered through there. And one of the reasons that's there, even now, right as Jesus says these words, I'm thirsty, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. We see his deep love for the Father and his deep love for God's word. He knew, Jesus knew uh, God's word. Now, for him, the scriptures would have been what we know as the Old Testament, but he knew them and he loved them. And he knew that scattered all through the Old Testament were these hints, these prophecies that, that, were, that were about him, that were talking about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior. Um, one example is in Psalm 22. And by the way, Psalm 22 is a place where you see many of Jesus' statements written hundreds of years before. But, but one of them is uh, Psalm 22, verse 15, where it says, My strength 
is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Just a very descriptive statement. A, a potsherd was a, a broken piece of pottery. He, it's like he's saying, I am, I am as weak as a broken piece of pottery, and I'm so thirsty that my tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. You know, the, the Hebrew people were a descriptive people. They would write in very descriptive ways. They would talk in very descriptive ways. And, and that's what we see there. It kind of reminds me of some of the, my friends that I know from the Deep South. They're very descriptive in, in how they talk as well. They uh, have one of them will say, you know, that's, that's cuter than a speckled pup under the chuck wagon. Well, that's pretty descriptive, right? So in, in some ways, they had that in common. And, and we see this description, like I said, hundreds of years. And it reminds us that the cross was no accident, that it was not an afterthought. All through the Old Testament scriptures, they are point, pointing toward this moment. And another aspect of his humanness and his devotion to us is that he responded and endured all this with the same resources that you and I have, with the Holy Spirit and, and with God's Word. And, and the reason I bring that out is that it's to remind us that he never in, invoked his godly power. He had it. He had it. He was still God. He was the one who brought, if you remember, the refreshing water out of the rock for Moses in the desert. He's the one who turned water into wine. I mean, he could have spoken that same power here, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He, he never performed miracles for his own benefit or comfort. Instead, he shows us his humanness, and he depended on the Spirit of God and on his word just as we can do in the midst of suffering. So he says, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, he says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Man, you know, Jesus here, by the way, is not asking for something to drink. He's not asking for a physical quenching of his thirst. He's just, he's committed to seeing the scriptures fulfilled, to seeing God's plan completed. It's an incredible act of love for us, that at this point, he's still concerned about seeing the scriptures fulfilled. And he knew that he was the only one that could do that. Incredible love for his father and for the Lord's plan. But also it shows us his love for us and the reason he came. And that's the, that the, the third observation I want to make about why these words are so important. It shows us why he came, about why all of this mattered about why this statement was included in the Scripture. Well, it is included because it's fulfilling the Scripture, but there's also another reason. And that's, that's because we live in a world that is thirsting. I mean, we are all, every human being is born with a thirst of the soul. We spend our lives trying to find something to quench this deep thirst. We're all, every person, whether they know it or not, is on this quest. How do we... Fill this deep thirst that is within us. And there are all kinds of things around us, right, that offer to quench our thirst that appear to be so satisfying. I was reading about on July 30th, 1945, battle cruiser USS Indianapolis was returning from its mission in the Pacific, but it did not make it home. A Japanese torpedo hit, hit the cruiser on its way back, and it sank in like 12 minutes. There were there were 1,200 men on board, 300 died almost immediately, and out of the 900 or so that were left, only 316 survived. Well, one of the men who survived was the chief medical officer, and he 
wrote about his experience there. And what he said was, he said, there was nothing I could do. Nothing I could do but give advice to try to keep the men from drinking the water. He said, when the hot sun came out and we were in that crystal clear ocean and we were so thirsty, you couldn't believe it wasn't good enough to drink. And many would drink the salt water. And they'd get dehydrated. And he said they would go fast. Well, what a picture that is. I mean, when, when we're thirsty, I mean, we are constantly surrounded by things, aren't we, that appear so satisfying. I mean, it's hard to believe they won't satisfy. I mean, even from things like money to, to big houses and fancy cars and big bank accounts, you know, or success and fame, or, or even temptations like alcohol or drugs or pornography, all these things that appear so thirst-quenching in the moment. But they always, always leave us thirsty, and eventually more thirsty than when we began. You see, there is a thirst of the soul that can only be quenched in Jesus. You might remember back in John chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples come into Samaria and they meet a woman by a well. This woman was an outcast. In fact, she'd been married five times. And, and Jesus begins to talk to her and, and he values her so much. And, and he discovers that life had left her thirsty. And he says to her, basically, you know, you've been trying to quench your thirst by finding the love of a man, but no man can quench the thirst of your soul. But he says, I am the living water. Come to me and you'll never thirst again. <laughs> Yet on this day, the one who said that to that woman hangs on a cross and he thirsts. He says, I am thirsty. He thirsts so that the thirst of our soul can be quenched. It's just an amazing, powerful picture here. There's one other detail that's going on here that I don't want you to miss. You, you remember back in, in verse uh, 29, it said that you know the, a jar of wine vinegar was there, and they soaked a sponge on it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So they, they offered him you know, the, this stuff to drink, but John puts a detail in there that he really didn't have to put, but it's a beautiful detail. What he was doing was reflecting back to the Old Testament story of the first Passover. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. And, and it's the story of, if you know the story at all, that uh, the, the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. And the Lord, so the Lord brings these plagues to try to make them let the, the Israelites go. Finally, the worst of all, plagues was the, the death angel. And if a death angel visited a home, the, the first, the, the oldest child and the oldest animal, they would die. Unless over the doorpost of their home, there had been spread the blood of a lamb. And if that was the case, the death angel would pass over their home. That's why it's called the Passover. And this was the first path, Passover there. But if you look in Exodus chapter 12, it's really interesting because there's a little detail of what they used to spread the blood around the doorposts. When they would spread the blood of the lamb, they would use uh, a hyssop plant to spread it. And it's just this beautiful little connection that, that in this same kind of plant was used to, to uh, hand this sponge or to put this sponge up before Jesus that he might 
be able to, to drink from it. You know, these centuries later, the hyssop plant is used again, but this time not for the spreading of the blood of a lamb, but in the midst of the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the sin of the whole world. That's why these words matter. The, the one who said in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, let this cup pass from me, but you know, not my will, but yours. He willingly drank the cup of sin that belonged to us. He drank the cup of the wrath of God that belonged to us. It's been said that Jesus thirsted under the heat of God's wrath that we may not have to be scorched with it forever. He died so we might live. He died thirsty so that our deepest thirst could be quenched in him. So let me ask you some questions. Where do you go to get your thirst quenched? Where do you go when you're thirsty? Jesus says, come to me. How thirsty are you for Jesus? He still says, come on, come to me. Have you ever received the living water? And there's nothing greater. There's no greater gift. And my guess is that many of you have. And, and maybe you asked the question that, that I asked sometimes, as I, especially as I think about this story of Jesus, the living water, and the promise that he gave and said that if you will, will come to me, you'll never thirst again. And, and because I have to be honest with you, uh, I still get thirsty. I still get tempted. I, I, I still am drawn to things that's, that appear to, to quench my thirst, but they're just salt water. I still do it. Well, I thought if Jesus said, if I come to him, I, I won't be thirsty again. Well, that's the journey we're on. Just because we've not experienced it doesn't mean it's not available. You see, <laughs> Jesus is a bottomless well of the living water. It's just the journey is us learning to, to come to him when we're thirsty. It's learning to walk with him, to trust him, to depend on him, to enjoy walking and, and enjoy that living water. He's so patient with us and he doesn't give up on us and he keeps saying, come on, let's, let's do this together. Let's, let's walk through this together. This one who thirsted for us so that we don't have to thirst. Not so that that thirst of our soul could be fulfilled. You know, uh, when I was pastoring in Portland for several years, we had a partnership in India. And I, I remember... The first time I went, we had already been sending some money over to have water well, wells dug in different villages because the people in the villages were having to walk miles each way just to get drinking water, just to get clean water. And we would always put them on church property so anybody could come and it was free, but they would know that it was connected to the message of Christ. And, you know, our prayer would be that they would eventually receive the living water in Jesus. Well, when we went to visit, one of the, we went to one of the villages where, where one of the, the wells had been dug, and they asked us to dedicate the well. I never dedicated a well before. didn't know how to do that exactly, but uh, in the midst of that, uh, I looked around, and it was incredible. You could not not see this. Everything was so muddy. It had been raining. There was muddy water puddles in the road. The building, everything was just, it was just so dirty. But part of the dedication is they asked me to, they said, like, you know, start pumping 
the well. And so I didn't really know what I was doing. I still kind of overwhelmed with everything that was going on, but I, I started pumping. And then after a little bit, out of the, the spout of this uh, water pump, this water well, comes this clear, crystal clear water. And in comparison to everything else, I mean, it was shocking. I literally <gasps> took my breath. I just wasn't expecting it. So I just kept pumping and that water came out and these little kids would run up and stick their little faces under that clear water and they'd come bring, running with buckets and, and filling that up and they were laughing and jumping and, and, and uh, celebrating. It was this incredible moment where this, it was like this living water in the midst of all of this, this, this muddy water. It was a reminder that in a world with an endless supply of muddy water or an endless supply of salt water, there's living water available to quench the thirst of our soul. That water, that living water is Jesus. And this, these three words remind us of who he is and what it means and what we can receive and experience with him. That's how much he loves us. I want to end just with one quote from uh, Nancy Spiegelberg. She said this. She said, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain in asking for any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better, I'd have come running with a bucket. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that who you are your nature, your heart is one that has buckets of your living water available for us. You're not, you're not just parsing it out one little drop at a time. It's so available. And I pray for every one of us that you would, you would help us to keep being drawn close to you, to, re to respond to your drawing, to find in your word, to find in every moment of our lives uh, the, the fulfillment that comes from walking with you. Lord, help us recognize the salt water around us. Help us remember how dry it leaves us. Help us to find our quenching in you. And Lord, I thank you. Thank you for giving your life for us. Thank you for thirsting that we may not have to thirst for eternity. It's an amazing thing. And it's in your name we thank you for it, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.